1: Morning, everybody. On a Saturday, it is the 14th of October, 2023. Good old 710 KUS U.S. 60 will be the high today. Tomorrow, Sunday, 70. Monday, 75 degrees. Uh, I made up my mind last week after we left out of here on Saturday to do the following Saturday or this day as a history lesson, an ongoing history lesson, as opposed to what I've listened to on talk radio, what I've watched on the news, and it gets your, it gets lost into it. So um, again, uh, cousin Louie did great, and I said, you know, we well, we people dropped off the show, who had said that they would do the show, and the fear factor. But I guess the best way to say it, as we lead into Professor Smith, um, before World War One, the empires fought over the land in the Middle East. They came and they went in a Roman Empire into 14 where the Ottomans had had a lot of the Middle East. The Ottoman Empire was losing ground and it ended World War I and during the war the Arabs Arabs were promised by their own country from the UK at the time of Lawrence that if they revolted um, they would drive out the ottomans they themselves would be granted a free state same time zionist in london where lord rothschild was make the deal with balfour make the deal with uh, what happens next and so during the war the arabs are promised their own country if uh, by the U, you know, as if the uk could and then the i mean all the dualism and cutbacks without further ado to do this, you know, I was thinking about you doing this on a Saturday, and uh, I know your, your, your work-a-day college professor means so much. Please say good morning, and welcome to one of my true favorites, Professor David Smith. Good morning, sir.
2: Good morning, Peter. It's great to be back with you. How are you,
1: man? You know, I'm actually pretty good. It was, like I said, if this summer were a fish, I'd throw it back, but <laughs> I'm making a comeback. Um, I... You know, I spent since, I guess, since undergrad reading Middle Eastern history. And uh, what's interesting mm-hmm. is I was seeped in the, um, if there is such a thing as an official version, mm-hmm. and yet there is so much more to all of this. Oh, yeah. What would you like to say about it? Well,
2: first of all, what you just said is exactly what I hear from my students, my freshmen, when they come in and they sit through a class with me for the first time, and they say, I've never heard any of this. How is it that I've gotten to this point and never heard any of this? And I tell them that they hear the official version. They hear the official condensed version. And real life is so much more complicated. And and you're absolutely right that you really got to look into this stuff from a historical context perspective. And you're right, too, that the place to understand this in the beginning is
1: world war one. Yes. I mean, the, to lead to this, but even prior to that, you know, the Ottomans or the Romans Mm -hmm. or, um, but the real true double cross comes. Um, there, there's a wonderful book entitled with Lawrence in Arabia. Uh And I'm a Lawrence fan. And, uh, right. I I read seven pillars of wisdom, read all that kind of stuff. And Lawrence is actually in, we're talking about this earlier. He's in Damascus, and mm-hmm. he sees the French army marching in. Now, he's already told the Arab world, fight with us, overthrow the Ottomans, and it's all yours.
2: Right. Yeah, oh. and, and that that last scene from the movie, Lawrence of Arabia, captures it so well. You know, as he's going out, the French are coming in, and he knows instantly what that means. Yeah. But— yeah. Uh, you know, before World War I, I was thinking about this as I was listening to you talk about it. Before World War I, this region had been imperial. You know, mm. there had been external empires that controlled it and, and ruled it. it. You know, there wasn't any sort of state system like you would have had in Europe. And because of that, you just have these competing tribes within a monolithic state that is you know it's the ottoman empire when mm-hmm. world war 1 ends and when the when the british and the french along with the russians and the italians right they decide to dismember the ottoman empire and turn it into you know regions that will be administered by each of them that's when they sort of unleash this this tribal this tribal conflict that has had a lid on it since really since the days of the romans like you said
1: mm-hmm. they If you read the Ottomans, the and if you were to ask either an Arab or a Jew or a Palestinian or a Jew, who are you? They would say we are Ottomans. They would not Uh say they would not say, you know, and and apparently got along. I mean, uh, in Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. they they live side by side. They got along. I was mentioning it's like Saddam. You could be a Christian and have a fine day with Saddam. He, he didn't care, you know, he, right. and, and I just the just,
2: numbers. The numbers weren't enough to be a threat. You know, there were just, you know, uh, several thousand Jews living in mm-hmm. in the Holy Land up until the turn of the 20th century. And then the numbers started to go up. And then after World War One, the numbers started to really go up. And that's mm-hmm. when you started to get friction.
1: So take, take us back in time. World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lawrence, who is a pivotal figure, talk talked right. the Arab tribes into fighting Ottomans. At the yeah. same time, the British government is tapping out. They're in deep trouble. Uh, Lord Rothschild lives in London. Mm-hmm. They go to, and I think it's in Bern, not Bern, where, where they were where the first Zionist Congress is right and It's a guy named Theodore Theodor Herzl and uh, you want to pick it up there?
2: Sure you know I, I guess uh, I guess one of the things that you have to sort of take into account is the decision by the Ottoman Empire to join in with the Germans and the Austrians yeah. which is yeah. which uh, even that decision goes way back in you know to the, the rivalry between the Ottomans and the Russians. And if you've read Barbara Tuttman, right, you know you've got the – the British are going to try to get to the Ottomans before the Germans do Mm -hmm. and and try to get the Ottomans to not side with the Germans. But when the Ottomans side with the Germans, that casts the die as the Ottomans being the enemy of the British. And as the British get bogged down in the Western Front, the British try to figure out other ways to get leverage in the war, and that's where Lawrence steps in by – sponsoring the tribes that would carry out a revolt against Ottoman mm-hmm. rule in Arabia and, and the Levant. And and that's how the British begin to get tied up with the Arabs and their revolt against the Ottomans. And then they start making promises, like you said. But at the same time, they're doing that. The French and the British, mm-hmm. in this thing called the Sykes-Picot Agreement that yes. sort of spans 1915 to 1916, they, they're carving up the the Ottoman Empire in good old-fashioned power politics. It's like it's the like it's the 19th century still.
1: And so in s- November 17, I think, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, Arthur Balfour, his name always... Oh, that's right, it was Arthur. Arthur Balfour yeah. goes to Ro- Lord Rothschild, who is the leader in the Jewish community, but is powerful. They're wealthy beyond imagination, But they want to transmit, if you could, the Zionist uh, request of Great Britain, and it becomes the Balfour Declaration. What what did Balfour declare?
2: Balfour declared to Rothschild that it would be the policy of the government to support a, a Jewish state somewhere in the Middle East after this thing all runs out. And, and that's that's the root of the British involvement in what will eventually become the, the state of Israel. Absolutely. And it, it reminds me of like some high school guy trying to date a bunch of different girls and making all these different promises yeah. to them, you know, and then getting, getting burned when all the promises, you know, are supposed to be kept. The British can't do it. They just – you know, they're trying to uphold – these agreements, but they're also looking out for their own best interests, and that's what's going to rule their policy. And the the Jews of the Middle East get mad at the British during mm-hmm. mandate years. The Palestinians get mad at the British. And then finally, you know, in 47, right, the, the British say, OK, the mandate's over. And then the Palestinians and the Jews just wail on each other.
1: And between Versailles and where the real double cross takes place, and the U.N. in 4048, the U.N. declares the state. And uh-huh. and when you read them, them meaning Palestinians, they always return to a theme. Who had the right to sell our land to whom?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Who has the right to 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 make these deals? How oh. What makes what gives London the right? Right. What well, gives Paris the right to hmm. to make these deals about land where they
1: have no claim? Yes, but they did.
2: Then they did. It's, it, that was the way great powers cut up the world. Yep. You know, you know the whole balance of power system that mm-hmm. Theodore Roosevelt wanted to be part of. All
1: right. So back it up. So again, back to Lawrence. Lawrence is in Damascus,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: he sees the French army marching in, and he knows. That they've now cut everybody's throats
2: yeah do do you get the feeling that when you watch like lawrence of arabia and dances with wolves Mm -hmm. you're looking at sort of the same story oh absolutely you know you're looking at this one person who has gone to the trouble of understanding a culture Mm -hmm. and then the government from this one person's past doesn't understand it and ends up betraying the whole thing
1: Palestine's part of the Ottomans for four hundred years mm-hmm. um, also known by the Turkish Empire but um the populations are small they get along it isn't it isn't one of those at each other's throats the the I think the Ottomans were in Constantinople, I think that's where their head of their government was mm-hmm. and um why as you pointed out why why they jumped into the war on the side of the Germans that was one of the great moves too <laughs> but great strategic mistakes oh, in history but then remember it was the turks at gallipoli when uh-huh. when they chewed up the british army they chewed that was there were there were turks
2: yeah, exactly yeah i mean that was sort of the, the wheelhouse of, oh, of the turkish ethnic state yeah.
1: oh man and so I, and again then you get stuck at this point and so then the world knows about the Shoah. They know they know about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and they want to. And you know, and then the sympathy, sympathy, rightfully so, of the world goes to, oh my God, look what we didn't stop, or better yet, look what went on. Yeah, exactly. How and can we
2: make up for this?
1: How can thank, thank, bingo, and how did they make up for it?
2: They made up for it by through the United Nations, b- blessing and sanctioning the creation of a, a Jewish state as a homeland for the Jewish people that had been, you know, basically put upon in the rest of the world for yeah. centuries.
1: Yes. I mean, you, I read Herzl, and he made all the sense in the world. He, they, um, The Dreyfus trials that happened, pogroms mm-hmm. that happened, uh, and ongoing pogroms, too, and— They knew they and the notion was, we have to get out of here. We have to go and get out of Europe. We have to get away from all of this insanity, this anti-Semitic insanity. We
2: can't be safe here.
1: That's right. We can't. Yeah. And, And
2: and the only place we can be safe is in a state that we control.
1: That's right. And we create.
2: And that we create, yeah.
1: At the expense of home. Uh,
2: it it right that's exactly ah. the question you yeah. know who who's who's living in this region right. where we're going to now carve out a state yeah. and and it it's the palestinians who've been there for a long time
1: mm-hmm. i I, went, I was in gaza and uh
2: oh wow, yeah
1: and it's like oh, i mean it, it's and yet they talk about a place they call home that they've never been Mhm yeah man So now what?
2: Well, let's see. You get you you get starting in 4748, you get a series of wars mm-hmm. fought mm-hmm. between the Arab states surrounding the new Jewish state yep. and the Jewish state. Yep. You know, the as soon as independence was declared, Boom. Israel was attacked from the north and the west mm-hmm. and, or the east and the southwest, you know, Egypt and mm-hmm. Syria and mm-hmm. Jordan and uh, Israel fights them off and expands the territory that they had been granted mm-hmm. for strategic security reasons. And, and then, you know, then there's the Suez crisis when Israel and Britain yeah. and yeah. France team up on Egypt. And that results in, you know, Israel pushing out into the Sinai. And, and then there's another war in 67. 67. And then there's another war in 72. Mm-hmm. And it, you just get this pattern of wars, one after the other after the other. And at the end of each, you're still left with the same sort of inconclusive central mm-hmm. question that, uh, that that isn't satisfied by a ceasefire.
1: Professor David Smith from Baylor is our guest. Peter Boyle, 710-K in U.S. And that's when Jerusalem is taken. That's when you know they, they create the West Bank. They create Gaza. But in many ways, you know, you mentioned dances with wolves. In many ways, they're like reservations. Exactly. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's a very. I think that's a pretty good way of putting
1: it. Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 terrible. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's awful. And and one one of the things I said too is, if Netanyahu decides to stay in Gaza, he will become George Bush in Baghdad. They can't. Oh
2: win. gosh.
1: They can't yeah. Win. It, they can't win.
2: I was I was just reading some stuff about that this morning, that if the Israelis go into Gaza with this kind of operation, Mm -hmm. it's just going to be a disaster for everybody. Everybody.
1: And they're in spider holes, and they have tunnels, and they've built... And and the the psychology of this, or the perhaps psychology of it, when these men and women see they have nothing to lose... And I, I mentioned this then I saw similarities between the Tet Offensive in 1968 in February, uh, and there's a city called Way, mm-hmm. and they just brutal. I mean, the NVA and the VC went in there, and, and they cut people's heads off, and they buried those people, and did all those things. But and they, knowing that there was no win, that just they were mm-hmm. going to do this. Was there any similarities between that and what happened last 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 Saturday? Wow, I hadn't
2: really thought about that, but I think that's a pretty sound comparison. You know that you've got this almost act of desperation on the part of one side against the other, and uh, both Tet and what happened to Israel last weekend were the were the result of severe intelligence yeah, failures. Well. You know, by the U.S. in '68, by Israel last week. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a there's an act of desperation quality to it, and you think, well, what are they desperate to do? And it seems Mm -hmm. like, in both cases, the attackers were desperate to sort of readjust the strategic situation somehow, that you didn't really know how this was going to play out, but you knew that if you pulled it off successfully, the strategic landscape would be different, and yours is so bad now, being different couldn't be any worse.
1: Indeed. Indeed.
2: And, and and Netanyahu is basically saying, okay, well, we're going to make it worse by mm-hmm. taking Gaza.
1: But, I mean, I, like I said, I'm not an expert, but I've been there, and uh, you just grind it down. But it seems to run in, ten, Professor, it seems to run in 10-year cycles. So, and someone once called it the two-for-one sale. You kill one, you'll get two free. If You kill two, oh. you'll get four and so, yeah. the, and even the Pentagon Papers. I was mentioning this. They said you can't, you can't beat a birth rate. Um, right. Yeah. And who surrenders? There's no, there's no little schoolhouse. There's no uh, Tokyo Bay. No, who would surrender? And at this point, now what? As this you know, as this ground war begins, and they'll grind it. Yeah. Uh, and if they stay, then what? Yeah
2: you know basically you have you have hamas and the plo sort of in competition for the leadership of the palestinian mm-hmm. people and the yeah. cause and i i think you have reached the point that the palestinian liberation organization the plo mm-hmm. has has really sort of done nothing to justify the public loyalty to it in mm-hmm. the eyes of hamas and hamas is going to say well at least we fight yeah
1: uh, and the PLO is running West Bank, and the mm-hmm. Hamas. You're right, absolutely right. I mean, they're infinitely more militant, but the PLO has been handed its hat a couple of times too. Yeah, but what do well, you get? Sure. Yeah, but if, if you see these these videos, these are young men. I mean, they're they look like they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one years old. Hmm. Um. And they've been raised in this. And as mentioned about Ireland, when they did the rising and the Sunday, Easter Sunday rising, where they, yeah. they feel like they have nothing left. Uh, and I've read them. And they, so they were willing. There's that great line from the Irish history. I die in a good cause. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, if it's, it's it's almost. Well,
2: at least it's very difficult for Westerners, understand, comfortable yeah, Westerners, yeah. to understand the desperation. Oh, and, and I don't—I mean, I, I, I can't get past that. It, oh. It's so hard for people oh. to understand what desperation will mm-hmm. will do. Yeah,
1: I—I, right. I'm a Michael Collins fan, and mm-hmm. the, another great line from history is "One man's terrorist." Is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah, and Michael it, Michael Collins is the father of modern terror. Had the British caught him, they would have hung him. Yeah, and, and yet he's a he's a hero in Ireland. Yeah, you know, t-
2: terrorism is the tactic of the weak against the strong. Yeah, you know, and it's the tactic of looking for. You know, you you hate to talk in such clinical terms, but it's a tactic of looking for soft sure, targets sure. that will put your opponent off balance and, and try to reset the board a little bit in your favor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's I, we talk about the victims in these things, and they're always, you know, no. the innocents it, from from, you know, hundreds of years ago to today. The, the victims are always the innocents,
1: and mm-hmm. it's just awful. Lenin Lenin said or wrote the purpose of terror or purpose of terrorism is terror. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, and I had to think about that a long way. And so the other day where this one guy says, it's going to be jihad day. And I work with this really neat woman. She kept her kids home from school. And I said, they've been terrorized. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that she's wrong. I'm not, please don't misunderstand me, but, when somebody gets into your head, and the purpose of terrorism is terror, mm-hmm. and it's not for the dead—the dead are gone—it's the the living are terrorized. Right. How do you? And it it it, you know, what
2: terrorism does is it disengages a population from the group that yeah. they thought would keep them safe. You know, the purpose of terrorism is to terrorize the living into not trusting who they thought their caretaker was. You know, whether it's in no, no matter where it happens, right? That uh, it, it's a, a complex strategic equation that's meant to unsettle your opponent because you have no way of unsettling that opponent in a in a sort of. You know, you don't have military parity with them, so you've got to hit where you can, and that's that's the purpose of terrorism, no matter what age it is, and well, no matter where it happens.
1: Forced the British out of Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, the IRA and, forced the British to leave, not because they negotiated with them, because they killed them. Mm-hmm.
2: And and eventually, that's going to wear down the willingness of the occupier. That's right to continue the occupation.
1: Kenya, um, the time of the Mau Mau. Oh, my gosh. Chased the British, yeah. They chased the British out and chased them home. And, and it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, you talk about horrible in the, 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 the time of the Mau. And the, and, the, and, and the one thing that I'm going to ask is I'm going to set it up and you respond to it. All the reading that at least I've done was the British Army, where they called them colonial troops. And Mm -hmm. they would use, you know, black troops. They'd use, you know, whatever they wanted to do. They would bring these people into the British Army, the Indians, um, Bengalis. And then when the war is over, they go home and they think, wait a minute. We just spent some of our friends' lives and three or four years of our lives to liberate other people from another Mm -hmm. government. Isn't that I mean, and they really did. And the same thing was true with, like, black soldiers that came back to the United States of America said, Mm -hmm. I I was, you know, I was putting my rear end on the line and I come home to Alabama and I'm treated I'm treated like so that that gives rise. And that's actually what happened in Kenya. Mm -hmm. Yeah. South Africa.
2: Well, you know, it happened in France with the American Revolution. Bing. You had you had French, the French, you know, helping Washington and the guys win independence. Then they go back to France and think,
1: wait a minute. Wait a minute.
2: We, <laughs> we, <laughs> we live in the most oppressive absolute yeah. monarchy in Europe, yeah. and we're helping the, English, the Americans. Why yeah. about us?
1: And that's what the Kenyans said, and it's what, you know, other parts of the world. And they said, oh, whoa, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh mm-hmm. fights the Japanese. And with the help of the United States of America, the UN lets the French go back to French yeah. Indochina, and, and and the French collaborate. The French are collaborators, mm. and, and and Ho's going like, "Wait a minute, we've been fighting the Japanese. You know, you haven't fought them. We did.
2: Yeah, we fought them on you know on your behalf too. Yes, you know, but and where's where's our payoff? Where's our share?" All
1: right. I get stuck in this. Can can you hang on and let me sell something and get this done? Absolutely, All right, hang Absolutely. on. Let's do it. I, I, one of our true favorites, and he really is Professor Smith and uh, David Smith and Baylor. Our friends at the Black Eyed Pea. They are locally owned and operated by Steve and Michelle. And I had a great lunch with Steve. We got a plan coming, and I love the place. And there's eight locations. There's one near you, and. When's the last time you took your family out to eat or eat at the Black Eyed Pea? Everything is made from scratch. They got hot turkey sandwiches. They got roast turkey dinners. Right away, you got my attention. Mom's meatloaf and grilled salmon. And it's good stuff. I mean, it's really homemade soups and salads. And as my, they say, smashed potatoes, not mashed, smashed, smashed potatoes. They have senior discounts in save room for dessert at the Black Eyed Pea. They have, um, uh, again, Mauhai, the one-pound chocolate cake, the Stefan Tubbs cake. If you're looking for a job, they're hiring all positions now at the P. Uh, go to the theblackeyedpeacolorado.com and click on Employment. and It'll take you online job apps. And if you download the Black Eyed P APP or go to – that's the Black Eyed P app. Or go to the website. You can select Pickup. You can place your order without having to call in. Everything about this place or these places, these restaurants are great. The management, the family, those guys, I know you'll know this. Let them do the cooking for you and keep it in Colorado. And they're the Black Eyed Pea. And thank you for choosing me because it means a lot. Love these guys. They're the best. They are the Black Eyed Pea. It's a good Saturday morning. Morning, everyone. The 14th of October, 2023, 60, the high 70 tomorrow, 75 on Monday. I have next Saturday off, but I'll be doing the Brockler show Monday and on Wednesday. Uh, The law offices and my friend Danny Kaplis believed to be the only attorney, the only law firm in Colorado history to win five straight multimillion-dollar jury verdicts in motor vehicle crash cases. And Danny and his guys, the partners, won the largest truck, crash jury verdict and colorado history think think about that the firm's history of seven and eight figure settlements and verdicts speak for themselves the firm were good people from all walks of life without regard to ability to pay receive a level of representation that really only the rich and powerful enjoy so capital law believes talks cheap experience counts results matter the firm would be happy to share with you its track record of outstanding jury verdicts out-of-court settlements. campus Law believes that who you hire speaks volumes. They suggest you choose a firm that shares your values. The firm believes that its core values have been the foundation of historic success, faith, integrity, hard work, dedication. Call Danny and just ask. 303 770-5551, 303-770-5551, dancaplislaw.com, dancaplislaw, dot com uh, He has um, become just a great friend. Uh, he is at Baylor University's history professor, David Smith. The line that says there, there are places in the world that there is no tomorrow it is simply yesterday repeating itself. Uh, true. Wow.
2: Yeah, yeah that's nice. Yeah. Where is that from?
1: I don't know where I found that, or you know, but it was, you know, I'm reading something, you know. But yeah. It, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: but it, I mean, it was in there someplace. In there somewhere in the files. <laughs> but it, 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 do you, do you, it, that's a truth, isn't it? Oh my gosh! Yes. What a great, great
2: statement. You know, I'm always trying to find sentences statements thoughts that'll hook my students into the reality of history and that's a good one there are some places where there are only yesterdays wow that's really good
1: there is no tomorrow yeah and um that was certainly ireland and uh,
2: And certainly in the mid east
1: that's where yeah or fill in the blank and it seems to me from being an amateur reader all of those places, the British occupied them at least one time. And wherever the British have been, the problems remain. Or, yeah. the, the, I mean, when the British leave, well, it's enough said. But so, how are there places that can do that? What do you offer up as a, as a solution? Yeah that's that's a tough question and it's it's probably the
2: case also that it's not just the british it's any colonial power mm-hmm. you know it's any external power that ordered affairs in a remote location that were ordered in a way that didn't reflect the reality on the ground mm-hmm. right whether it's french in algeria or oh. gosh the, the us in the philippines right a better or way. or the british everywhere, like you said. Filling a the black and I think the the British example stands out because the British were the premier colonial power. And they had colonies all well, over the world. Everywhere. But certainly I mean look at the the, the yesterdayness mm-hmm. of the relationship between Japan and China. Ooh. You know, that's that's a place and a and a situation in which yesterday still looms large yeah, but how to fix it I <laughs> I wish I knew. I mean, how do you fix the legacy of colonialism? You know. How do you fix the legacies of things like official segregation, official, yeah. you know, apartheid? You know, Can you? America has to wrestle with this,
1: too. Sure. Right. And slavery begins when, when the, we're with the British. It's <laughs> like, yeah, that's like the, people want to forget that. But it's true.
2: Yeah. The, the British worked out the slave codes mm. for North America on the island of Barbados.
1: Absolutely.
2: And that was in, you know, the 1660s, and mm. then they bring the slave codes to the, the North American colonies. Yep. No. That, so that certainly doesn't absolve the, the North American colonies, but that's where it comes from. No,
1: it, again, the notion of colonialism, everything you say, um, it, it's this great sadness, and what I think is important when I listen to American media, talk radio in particular, Fox News in general. Oh, gosh. What, what you just did, and, and we've had some great people with us this morning, is this didn't start last Saturday morning. Right. And will happen again. Mm-hmm.
2: If you if you think it started last Saturday morning, you simply don't understand what's going on, yeah. and there's sort of no way around that.
1: I read when I I got to read it was interesting when I started to really attempt to understand the world, and I had this great guide as an undergraduate, uh, Doctor Brooks Van Everen, who is uh, Doctor Van Everen is now passed, but I tell people he taught me how to read. I mean, I could read, mm-hmm. but He taught me how to read. Now go read this. Now go read this. And I started reading. The first guy I read was George Habash. And he was a a doctor, a Christian, Palestinian. And he would write about what was going on in the world. And then you started reading other guys. You could read anything you wanted if you were willing to read. Now, I I don't know if the curtain has dropped on um, historic truth. In in American media, I believe it has, mm. and I'm not. You're and I'm started the show this way, and we're coming to the end. But I'm not taking a side. I'm not. I'm not trying to say, oh boy, these guys are right. Or, oh boy, these guys are wrong. But just right. how did we get here?
2: Gosh, it, it, yeah, that's that's the question, right? The sixty-four thousand dollar question. Oh uh we got here through a cheapening of the idea of education and complexity yes. and, and and i can't that's the core of it right i mean we as a country have decided that you being knowledgeable is is not worth it oh, you know i mean it, we've taken the notion of informed opinion mm-hmm. and equated it with opinion
1: or I'm reading, uh, there are two things I want to recommend. I'm reading Isaac Isaacson's book, Elon Musk. Oh, you got to read that. That's about, you know, Musk is South African and he grows up mm-hmm. in our, our apartheid, but uh, his father's just a lunatic. And then I'm reading this book, I'm fi- trying to finish it, but I got so many different things called Hoax about Fox News and the Trump administration and uh-huh. how they end up paying three-quarters of a billion dollars for telling lies. But right. But part of it is they, and Roger Ailes, who really is this brilliant, brilliant, genius, sick, dark, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. but Ailes, who really helps invent Rush Limbaugh, is given truckloads of money by the Murdochs to create Fox, and he does but they it's it's opinion news, it's not the old right. the, it's not the old Walter Cronkite sit down and talk, and mm-hmm. uh boy, they gotten themselves jammed up, but they were just as bad all of this week as uh, just please for i mean i i I don't know i I don't have an answer,
2: I don't either, and I wish I did, but I'll tell you what people like you working on this are still critical because right. you're the one that's exploring the real story. Yeah. And it's complicated, and yeah, you know it's complicated. Yeah,
1: but read what and, what people have said, you know, online, and I, I made a deal I wasn't going to have any screaming and hollering, no personal attacks. It's like yeah, a dog in the fight.
2: Yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, if you are like, us, and we care about mm-hmm. history, and we believe that you knowing history is crucial mm-hmm. to you understanding today, you have to have these long, no. detailed conversations that acknowledge moral ambiguity, and that's not what people want today. No. They just want to shout and get mad and be validated. Sure.
1: I, I've gotten myself sort of jammed up by saying talk radio is turned into angry white guy radio and we have an angry white guy replaced by another angry white guy and then following him is an angry white guy and 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 and, and they the, they know they know what they did at fox and they're you know I don't know what the what Rupert's got not Rupert anymore but uh but we have this angry white guy talk radio with one or two exceptions and it doesn't go anywhere but it's It makes people stupid. It it fires
2: them up emotionally to follow whatever gust of wind fills their sails. Yeah. And and they they can be misled into whichever way you want, you know.
1: And and, and tell lies.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and tell lies and and not be able to differentiate from the truth.
1: And now we come. Now we come to this. Uh, It's all been done before. (laughs) <laughs> that's isn't that the message of history? It's all been done before we've yep. been here before <laughs> I s first when I watched this, I said that's nineteen sixty eight February tet when they wrote yep, and yeah. they they weren't going yeah
2: everybody was everybody's been sort of comparing it to the Yom Kippur war no, but uh you know in their timing and stuff, but you comparing this to tet is is perfect i uh, think
1: I think so. They knew you can read Yap, they knew. They, I was mentioning this. Westmoreland had said, "I don't know." Several weeks before, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Then Tet happens, and someone yeah. says, "Yeah, it was a train coming the other way." And, <laughs> and at, right, remember, right after that, then Westmoreland is removed, and uh, there's a you know in MacVe there's now a new commanding general, but.
0: Hmm.
2: And, and now that time it doesn't matter because by then Walter Cronkite has turned on it. He stood up. Yeah. And, and that's I mean, that's that's how a tactical uh, defeat can lead to a strategic victory.
1: You oh, know, they knew
2: and they knew. And I think that Hamas was knowing that this will culminate in a tactical loss for us, but we believe that this can result in a strategic
1: victory for our cause. And that's, I think, the thinking.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it is. And we're going to wait and see what Netanyahu does now. I believe it's a strategic mistake.
1: I will talk to you in two weeks. Professor, have a great day. Thank Absolutely. you for doing Thanks for doing the show. It means a lot. Anytime, buddy. I love you. Thank you, sir. You as well. Um, temperatures dropping, snows coming down in the mountains, and that means... A few weeks away from the start of ski season, Hamahama, and for it snowed in Winter Park. And if rumors are true, which they are, it's going to be one of the best ski seasons in Colorado in years big snow. Maybe it's time for new gear, new rentals, renting demos. Remember, with kids and grandkids, um, you got to rent, <laughs> their feet grow. You owe it to yourself to pay a visit to Larson Ski and Sport. Located south of I-70 on Kipling, so whether you rent equipment or you want your own, these are the guys totally committed to making your ski experience the or snowboarding experience or cross-country skiing the best. Larson, so convenient, you can stop on the way up the hill or stop on the way down. It's uh, I-70 uh, to the Kipling exit, and then just keep turning and going a little bit more to the south. You see the Crab Shack. After the Crab Shack, there is Larson Ski and Sport. Seven days a week. Take it from me, John Paul. The guys at Larson's absolutely experts at everything you need for winter sports. My family, me, everybody—we're all big Larson's fans. Larson Ski and Sports, South of I seventy on Kipling, three zero three four two three zero six five four three zero three four two three zero six five four. Seven days a week. L a r s -S 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 o n sport dot com. All right, coming right back on a Saturday morning. I think we got about forty seconds left. Um, Thank you. Um, It it was uh, a difficult show because you wanted to play down the middle and have the history lessons that went with it. And again, it was pretty intense. There were people that said, I'll do the show and then said no. So the heat is on and you listen to those Pittsburgh rallies. And, uh, you know, I I don't know how much anything does good right now. This is a a sadness. But there is an Arab perspective. There's a. Israeli perspective. There's all these different groups. Uh, I'm off next week. We'll be back. Louis. thank you. You really put together a great show. I'm in for, uh, again, the man, George Brockler. Monday morning. I'll see you then. Take care of yourselves.